I was watching, I watched Match of the Day Blind last week. And that's uh, an interesting game to play. As in, not that I'd lost my sight, that would be deeply unfortunate, but in that I didn't know any of the straws. That takes me back. That? But what was I doing? I was doing something. I was busy. And, oh, that's right. Kate and I went for a night away in the lakes. Very pleasant. Which was, this is to just give you an insight into how romantic I am. For her birthday last year, I bought her some vouchers for a hotel called Another Place. Feel free to sponsor, sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> on Oldswater, which I would, I would recommend. Slightly overpriced. Anyway, what, uh, Oldswater. Oldswater. Oldswater itself the, the is lake free. Itself. I don't know, I'm not that keen on the lakes. Which, I find the which lakes is your a favourite lake? They're a bit twee. Uh, Rydalwater. Right. Is that because of the views that you get on the lake? No, it's just it's the right size to walk around without getting bored. Right, okay. Fine. Well, you couldn't walk around Windermere. It would take no, minutes. it's ridiculous. But we, we once went to the lakes years and years ago and did a bid and walk. got engaged. This is... <laughs> It was, it must have been after we got engaged, we went to the late and we did a bid walk from wherever we were staying to Ambleside, which is on Windermere. Windermere, top, top part of Windermere, top very, of Windermere. very pretty there. But we got lost and had to get a taxi back, which, uh, it was dark and frightening, uh, which put me off Windermere, to be honest. But anyway, we were in the lates, and so I, yeah, I bought Kate these vouchers for her birthday in 2018, which we got round to using just before they expired in October 2019. But then, obviously, events overtook us in October, and I wasn't really in the mood for a weekend away. Uh, but then we decided... Especially not a romantic one. Not really a romantic one. Uh, the I then decided, or we then decided, partly out of good old-fashioned Yorkshire parsimony, that we had to use the vouchers. You have to use the vouchers. <laughs> and partly after the funeral and stuff, we kind of felt we needed a bit of time away, just, just not even 48 hours, 36 hours of peace and quiet. Uh, so Kate's mum and dad very kindly came to, to baby and dodge sit. And we went to Ullswater for, on Friday and stayed until Saturday, but came back down Saturday evening. So I, I, I didn't know any of the straws. We were kind of, walk, we went on a big walk and we were in the, in the pool area. So I was a bit like, well, I just won't find out the straws. To the extent I didn't even know what the games were. Because obviously it was Liverpool-Man City weekend. And that yes. was all anyone cared about. I didn't know what the games were. I didn't know how many games there were. So I get home. Everyone goes to bed. Everything's, everything's peace and quiet and calm and relaxed. And I think, right, I will watch Match of the Day. Uh, and who was on second? Steve Wyatt. Mm. Stephen Wyatt with the big 3 niller At Burnley. Yeah, not Against bad. another team. West Ham? West, West Ham, yeah. Yes. The, it was uh, Claret a, a Claret and Blue bloodbath. But you, did they send you thinking it wouldn't be second on Match of the Day? They sent me thinking the goalkeeper's going to have a shocker. And <laughs> who do we know about having shockers in goal? <laughs> Wyatt is the man for it's, the job. It's a Wyatt job. But I was, it was a really pleasant surprise to hear your voice that early on in Match of the Day. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. That was a long walk to, to get to that uh, punchline, you, wasn't it? You presumably don't know when you, go, when you are told which games you're doing, what order they're going to be in, because you don't know how many goals they'll be. No, correct. Uh, do you find that that's helpful? Does, would you have been more nervous if you'd known you were second, when, before people have fallen asleep? No, I, I find you're, you're desperate. You are desperate for things to happen. Yeah. in that hope that you will creep up the running order. I yeah. like I like the idea of, a, of like a live table, a live running order, as during the games, as they take yes. place, you've got, oh, there's been a second goal at Burnley. They're, they're, they've gone from eighth to seventh, and then you watch it kind of morph over time. And, and the one that they really thought was going to be brilliant is a nil-nil, and it drops down and down and do, down. Does that mean so that's so like a live element from final score throughout the day? You know, let's yes. cross live to the match of the day office, and they've got like the, the games on, like, on boards <laughs> that they can yes, slide in across. and out, like the old 
old-fashioned table yeah, yeah. for grandstand. That's a great idea. So Chelsea, I think Chelsea Palace was third. Yeah, first up was the Arsenal Leicester game. Yes, which drew crawl, yep. not not a problem. Second was you, yep. w- w- the Wyeth Derby, and third was Ali Bruce Ball at Chelsea Palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we all like Ali Bruce Ball. Yeah, we very do. fond of Ali. Very, Bruce Ball. very very much a fan of Ali Bruce Ball. His brother Jim as well he used to be my boss at the Telegraph. Really, I don't lovely know man. Jim. The Bruce Ball family very powerful. Uh, and <laughs> media magnets. Do you think as dolls were going in at Turf Moor, Ali Bruce Ball was thinking, "Hang on, I better I better ramp this yeah, up a little bit." Was, no, no, because his was a lunchtime game. Oh, of course, he's at yeah, a disadvantage. Yeah. So, so he's, he's thinking, "Well, that's not bad. It's starting up." But as the three o'clock goal, goals go in, he's like, "Oh, oh dear." Oh, Wyatt's just gone up to second. Damn you, Wyatt. That third at Burnley has ruined it. Like the, like the, like the clubhouse leader in golf. Have I used that yes. term, that term if, correctly? If they, if they are particularly... If, for example, the first or second round where yeah. the leaders go out at any, at any, some, any point. Some schlub who, who goes out dead early and shoots a 17 or whatever. I don't know what you're doing, golf. <laughs> this is failing. Like, <laughs> you've done so well to set up something. <laughs> the analogy crumbles rapidly. Cannot complete. This what? is Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, who knows not of any text with good news sent at 6.30 in the morning, and Rory Smith, who has never received or sent any text at 6.30 in the morning. Correct. And not... Andy Hinchcliffe, who, as of a text at 6.30 this morning, was a late withdrawal due to illness, which is slightly concerning because as you join us on the day of the live show, we are the day before the live show, Chinch has about 32 hours to get well again. We should get a camera on his sick bed. <laughs> Have we got a baby monitor that we could borrow and just uh, put, put a camera on there so we can see whether he's tossing and turning in a way that suggests he's very feverish? Well, Primrose will have a baby monitor. Correct. Someone okay. will know how to hack into that, won't they? <laughs> yep. Or if oh they got, God, don't, don't encourage people to hack into baby monitors. Or if they got an Alexa, can we, you know, can we hack in via their Alexa or something and sort of give Do you think Chinch has got an Alexa? Nicky might. I can't see Chinch knowing how to work it. Stephen, would you like to explain what is a multifaceted food offering that Chinch is missing out on? Well, Chinch would have been having a glorious chorizo, pepper and cheese omelette for his lunch if he could have been bothered to drag himself the five miles up the A34. And instead he's going to miss out. We also have cookies and uh, some first birthday cake as well, Mm. which was a little bit dry, but uh, thank you, Theo Burton, for... um well, frankly, there was way too much, so there was plenty going. Also, he didn't cook it, did he didn't, didn't bait the cake. He allowed us to make sure that we could withdraw it from his house, yes. obviously. He yes. was standing at the door saying, how many pieces have you got? I said, only two, there's two of us, can we leave? Yeah. Yes was the answer. Well played, Theo. Uh, this podcast, you may well have noticed, is not the live show. Uh, just in case you're wondering, it is the day of the live show in your lives, in ours, it is not. We didn't want you to have to wait for your normal Wednesday-ish fare. So uh, episode 100 will follow next week after episode 153 in time-honoured chronological fashion. Mm. It also allows those 100 or so who attend uh, the live show to spend a week flooding social media with spoilers for everyone else, revealing the nature of the content that we provide, hopefully including our seven-cap former England international. Uh, getting in touch with the podcast is very easy, at setpiecemenu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com, or also on Facebook. This email is from Dave Mahi. I hope I've got that right, Dave. Hi, Rory and friends. I'm a relatively new disciple of SPM, and after dipping my toe in around episode 150... Decided to go back and start from the start while also oh listening word. to the newest releases. I've just finished episode 58, the last of the media special series. Does Dave not have a job? Dave has got plenty of time <laughs> on his hands. That's some excellent work, Dave. Congratulations. Maybe he does a lot of travelling for work. Ah, a long commute. 
Uh, a recurring thread within episode says Dave, around that time, that's episode 58, was what brought us all joy in football. And I can't help but feeling this is a theme worth revisiting, mm. uh, says Dave. So Rory's recent tragedy and the following uh, response of the SPM listeners truly warmed his heart. Uh, I do not engage, says Dave, in online communities in general, but I feel such a strong connection to this pod that I wanted to contribute and maybe bring some joy to us all. And so what gives Dave joy is Ben Foster. Okay. On Saturday just gone, he flew into and won a 50-50 tackle outside the box. Last week, it was a last-minute header save. Foster often is the best player for Watford, despite them losing by a cricket score. In the midst of the horror, will be seen laughing. He will come to do interviews afterwards and speak eloquently and amusingly about the game. He is a true gem, says Dave, on Ben Foster. Who gives him joy? I think there is a, that is a seam of joy that we definitely didn't tap in that episode, which remains one of our best episodes. In, in many ways, it's been downhill since then. So, Dave, don't get your hopes up for what's the truth. A hundred episodes of downhill. <laughs> the, um, we, we're, and we're not even at the foot. The, um, Long way to go. But like the, the unorthodox goalkeeper is a source of joy for a lot of people. So any, anything that you see a goalkeeper do that's a bit kind of unusual or a bit kind of improvisational is, is a source of joy. So the header save... Is fantastic. I enjoyed it again, sort of time stamping us in the Liverpool City game, which was the first game I've done uh, since my return to work, apart from Rochdale versus Ipswich, uh, which I went to by as, accident. As, no, as research. Was I, research that, an excellent Guardiola piece. I really enjoyed in the New that. York Times. I really enjoyed going to Rochdale Ipswich. People at Rochdale are lovely. Yes, they are. Yes. Um, the I, I forgot my coat once. Oh God, doing a that. game around about this time of the year, November time, at Rochdale, and a member of the backroom staff salvaged me one of those sort of old-fashioned, like, bench-warming jackets that the, the substitutes would wear that was lent to me for the duration of the evening, and I have never forgotten that. That is outstanding and, service. And I, and I was allowed to go into uh, one of the boxes for a hot drink. That's really nice. So, yeah, thank you. Rochdale, very friendly. The other thing we should point out about Rochdale, Brian Barry Murphy, the, the manager, what a handsome man. Oh, my very good God. Very good-looking. Is he old enough to be a manager? He's 41, yeah. Is he? Yeah, he'd have been playing when you saw them. Yeah. I would have thought, yeah. Blimey. He is... Does that mean I'm old? <laughs> yes. Right. Have you suddenly the, realised that that's how it works? What? But very, I mean, dishy. It's, it's on the verge of swarthy. Yeah, which is odd as he's Irish. It's not, it's not a look you necessarily associate with the Irish. But he is an extraordinarily, in the, in the flesh, I almost, this is the first time this has happened, almost asked him where he got his coat from. <laughs> Which it would and have you're, been. you're writing a piece of, roughly speaking, about Pep Guardiola, yeah. so clearly you had coats on the mind. I was thinking about, well, I, uh, yeah, I was probably thinking about fashion sense to an extent. But anyway, uh, I went to Liverpool City, this is what we were talking about, and there was, uh, you may not have noticed, there was a moment where I think Sadio Mane passed the ball back to Alisson, but it was a bit too quick. It, it wasn't a proper back pass, it was kind of, kind of a deflection, and Alisson, you could almost see him thinking, is that a back pass? Can I pick that up? What yes, do I, I do? do remember, yeah. And he need it out of the way. To, for a corner and I thought that was really that made me smile do you sort of think that actually do you know what fair play that is that's, it's not high profile it wasn't on the highlights but that is a brilliant bit of improvisational goalkeeping so yes I think unorthodox goalkeeping such as Ben Foster brings joy you've already brought up the fact that I was at Burnley at the weekend and in the Burnley West Ham programme on Saturday afternoon a feature at the very back on Gabor Karai which I only skim read because I've oh. not got a huge amount of time on my hands. Was that because you were too busy learning how to pronounce his surname properly? <laughs> yeah, it was like Google Translate. <laughs> um, and the final question in that was, what's happened to the, uh, the baggy goalkeeping the trousers? Bottoms, yeah. And he says he's, he's put them away for now, but one day when he's playing 
football in the garden with his kids, he might get them out for nostalgic reasons. And I thought, that's nice. nice. Yeah, he would, um, he would buy a new pair. No, yeah, no, don't you remember playing football in the garden as kids? And we were told not to wear any trousers at all because they would get muddy. So he will not be popular. Were you allowed to wear shorts? Oh, yes, there was the <laughs> naked from the waist down football. That's the Ferris Gab, household. Gab, Gab, Gabor's got 4G down in the garden. Don't worry, he's not getting muddy. Two different types of tackle on every occasion. Uh, Dave Mai, thank you very much indeed for that email from Cork in Ireland. Uh, Simon Trina, or Trainer, has got in touch about last week's episode on managers that we might have misevaluated. One of our case studies was Marco Silva, and Simon writes this. Hi to Jonathan Wilson, Alan Harper, Steve Bauer, and Will Perry. I'll be honest, I am flattered. Um, Who's Will? I'm Will. Also good looking, Will. Stunningly good. You could swim a hundred lengths in those blue eyes. Steve Bauer, another Steve who commentates. Jonathan Wilson, another excellent writer who's fascinated by Argentina. And Alan Harper, who didn't even get a cap for England, so that's slightly offensive. I enjoyed this week's pod, says Simon, but was surprised that your knowledge of Marco Silva only dates back to his first managerial job. I, on the other hand, have been aware of him since his days as a fullback for CD Trofense in the Portuguese third tier in the late 90s. Of course, he was just a player back then, but I could obviously already see that he had a future as a journeyman manager. His influence was obvious even then. Well, to me at least. Is it any coincidence that the team consistently maintained an average minus goal difference of 24 to 27. You could see too where he picked up his habit of always playing what the Portuguese call a guarda redes, a position that's doubtless unfamiliar to less worldly football fans, but has always been popular in that part of Czech Wikipedia, northern Portugal. It's a shame really that Everton, and by extension SPM, hadn't thought to consult me. This disappointment aside, keep up the good work and best wishes to you all, particularly Rory. I can't imagine what you must have been through, but I hope it's helped to be reminded how well regarded you are and deservedly so Simon that's an outstanding email more emails laced with that level of sarcasm yeah. please I enjoyed that a lot thank you Simon uh, the final piece of correspondence today is about VAR mm. uh, one of many that we continue to receive thank you keep them coming there is fertile ground certainly if you take into account a very long conversation that Stephen and I had uh, yesterday about the Trent Alexander-Arnold we incident. sort of whipped each other into a frenzy completely <laughs> needlessly so went on and on and on anyway was this also native from the waist down <laughs> that's, that's right Ray George is back in touch from New York Gents, says Ray, continue to love this pod. And the recent episodes on player behaviour, both incredulous and incredible, why didn't we think of those, Ray? Thank you, that's much better than our descriptions, have been terrific. Thanks for your efforts, and sorry I won't be able to make the live show in Manchester. He's in New York, that's okay. Uh, and special thank we'll you... We'll come to you, Ray, we'll <laughs> yes, come to you. Let us know how easy that can be. Uh, a special thank you to Stephen, as his perspective on VAR has been spot on not only in how and where it is appropriate, but also in looking to the Bundesliga as where we hope the Premier League is headed in terms of reducing rather than increasing referee complaints. My one question, though, is it would seem to me that if the objective of VAR is to identify a clear and obvious error and it is up to the on-field referee to make that determination, how can he slash she do that while only relying on what someone is telling him slash her in an earpiece? Shouldn't they always go and look at the video to confirm it themselves? And if they are concerned that it would slow the game down even more, couldn't someone just bring out an iPad or something? Given that I now inherently trust Stephen's opinion, would really appreciate his perspective on this topic. We got onto this yesterday, didn't we? I think there's, there's two ways you can look at this. Is that if it is a clear and obvious error, and there is the level of trust between an on-field referee and the, the person in the VAR booth that there should be, then surely the person watching on video can tell the referee, look, 
that's clearly your interpretation of that is incorrect. You've, you've misseen or you've misunderstood mm. what has happened. You need to overturn your decision. So I would suggest on the one hand that you don't need a pitch side monitor because if the error is clear and obvious, you should be able to take at face value the opinion of somebody who has seen it more than once. Yep. The alternative view is more often than not, the ball has gone out of play before the review process starts in earnest, at least as far yep. as the on-field referee is concerned. And his position on the field is never so far away from the touchline at the point of the halfway line that getting to the screen to review it for himself is going to be a great deal more time-consuming than him stood there with his finger in his ear whilst the person watching on at Stockley Park reviews that same footage. In fact, they could even be having the initial conversation as he makes his way to the halfway line. Say, for example, an incident where is it a penalty or not? The ball has gone behind for a goal kick. If the on-field decision has been goal kick, the referee has retreated towards halfway for Mm. the goal kick to be taken. So this idea that that going to the screen is going to substantially slow down the game does not make a great deal of sense to me. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I've kind of run out of opinions on VAR because I was kind of broadly pro. Still think it's. I, I, I regret the need for it, and we'll come on to why. But it's, it's now become such a big sort of swirling morass of contradictory things that I, I, I find it really hard to work out what I think about it now. But the one thing that. That, that really strikes me in terms of the way the Premier League have introduced it and the way that they are, they are running it is that what they want from it and the reasons they give for it not going well or there being bad decisions or things being inexplicable, they seem to change not just week to week but from, from day to day over a match day. So you'll get decisions on a Saturday that will not be enforced on a Sunday. And I, I'm almost at the stage now where I think that they probably need to do what the NFL did, withdraw it, for the rest of the season, analyse what they've done wrong and then give it another proper crack next year because it, 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 the technology exists, people expect that level of accuracy, people are not mature enough in the media or in football fans in general to accept that sometimes referees will get decisions wrong but the way they've introduced it I think has confused everybody so much. On Sunday, Guardiola kept saying, oh, just ask Mike, ask Mike Riley, ask Mike Riley, speak to the big boss, speak to the big boss, which I think was probably the, the right thing, the only thing really he could say. But half of me wonders whether he's got any idea what the guidelines are at the moment. I'm sure they've, they've changed so frequently because PGMOL, the people who run the referees, basically will not accept that they've got things wrong. Well, seven out of ten it's been so far this season. Yeah, no, but... and, I, and I can see that, and I think... I mean, that, so just just so everybody knows, Steve took that's thing Steve said. It took him three goes to say it because he couldn't quite get his thoughts in order. And I feel a bit like that with VAR in general. That there's so much that you kind of there's so many factors you have to consider, and there's so many things that seem to happen. It seems to move so quickly. Basically, I think that whatever had happened with VAR, we were going to complain about it in, in England. I think it was inevitable that we would complain. There, is, there is a strange desire for football fans, and I include myself in this when my team has been subjected to a VAR decision or a decision made with, with the help of VAR which has gone eventually against my team there is a strange feeling that fans expected VAR almost to make them happier mm. to get their team to succeeding more often and there is this strange kind of reaction that when VAR 
goes against you, i.e. the decision has correctly been awarded yeah, yeah. against you, that because there's been an extra level of scrutiny on that decision, it almost gives them more time, more reasons to rail against the decision. And they want VAR to just be an extra route an insurance to get them what they want. So I'm, I'm going to criticise fans and then make up for it by criticising the media even more harshly. So I think what I wonder, that hadn't occurred to me, but I wonder if what it is is basically that most fans, consciously or subconsciously, or not most, some fans, consciously or subconsciously, Arabs are convinced that there is an agenda, a bias against their club, a sort of institutional systemic bias in football against their team, particularly the big teams. And this All is of an the big extra teams. foundational stone in that. Well, no, so a lot of the anger maybe comes out from the fact that we've introduced VAR, which they maybe saw as the corrective to that systemic bias. But as it turns out, there actually wasn't a systemic bias because it's just what happens and there isn't a bias against anybody or for anybody. Uh, and they haven't yet used to the idea that actually this thing they dressed up as the salvation is is not but, but there are those who will say that VAR has become part of that systemic bias well, because it is part of the system yeah well I think and I think the problem with, with VAR one of the problems they have is that it is so opaque that it actually lends itself to conspiracy thinking yeah. in a way that so the, the Trent Alexander-Arnold handball which is just that's just a bad decision that's a penalty that is a penalty to Manchester City this, this was the root of our yeah. hour long conversation Stephen and I and especially when PGMOL come out and say that the Bernardo Silva handball which was also a handball would not was not taken into consideration because you can't because you can't. It, it's yeah this this was genuinely this is, so i don't want to get into it again with Stephen, who is staring to the middle distance like he's um, a catalog model or recently returned from a war zone the <laughs> which so, is basically what our conversation similar. yesterday was in many ways so once they once they get rid of that once they say right that bernardo silva handball is irrelevant to the trent alexander arnold handball it's just a penalty you've just got that you've just got that one wrong the referee's got it wrong and the var gets it wrong Ironically, I think the fact that... So if City had scored, it would have been ruled out for the silver handball. Yes, but because it was a penalty, so that is not considered. That, and what, one of the things that, VAR, that the introduction of technology has done is... I should give Stephen the credit for yeah. explaining this to me yesterday. <laughs> one of the things that in the introduction of technology has done is showcase that there are quite a lot of logical fallacies within the rules that, and that, that are that very difficult. To pro propagate the conspiracy. Yeah, and to be fair, like they are difficult to get your head around. It's hard to get your head around the idea that, all right, so if City, if Aduero, if Silver handballs it and Aduero scores, the goal gets ruled out. If Silver handballs it and Trent Alexander-Arnold Trent, Trent handballs it, it's a handball and a penalty to Manchester City. But that, which is a goal-scoring opportunity. So that strikes me as being... That Bernardo Silva handball both was and was not a handball, and that's not an ideal situation to be in. That is really hard for, for anyone to grasp. The criticism of the media that I want to make, is it's not just a fan thing. I think it's, it's really easy for, for people in the media to dress it up as, a, oh, fans are stupid and I, can't deal with this. I would also criticise the media more than fans. I think it's the media's, the whole thing is the media's fault. That, 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 and it makes me really angry when journalists complain about it. This is the world that you wanted, and you have done nothing to stop this happening. It, it genuinely aggravates me. I'm or glad I wasn't involved in your semi-naked round yesterday. But also, you, you have, you being not everybody, but you have not done anything to try and disseminate the information correctly. Instead, you have given to the emotional reaction yeah. so that has been on both sides. Chelsea Ajax last week, when I was at Rochdale, there was... An interesting choice, if, yeah. you, if you had it. I mean, I made the right one. The... The, the last, Chelsea scored a fifth goal, ruled out for an offence spotted by the VAR, right? Correctly. Correctly. Headlines next day, Chelsea denied winner by VAR. Yes. No, yes. Chelsea yes. denied Thank winner you. by rules. Yes. Chelsea denied winner by rules of game. Well, no, 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 no. A stage further than that, Chelsea scored goal that was illegal. 
Yeah. They weren't denied anything by yeah. either VAR or the rules. The yeah. goal they scored was illegitimate and therefore did not count. And was yeah. proven to be so via a means that would not have been there in the first place or would not have been there prior to VAR. And so therefore the correct outcome has been reached. Don't say that you have been denied something via the correct outcome being no. reached. And that was the headline on the front page of the sports section of The Telegraph the following day. Yeah. And that is the depth of the problem that we've got. Misinformation is being perpetuated and that is not helping the mistrust of the system because actually if the correct information was being distributed via the media, fans would have a better understanding of how it worked mm. and would be more understanding of why decisions were being made. Yet if you take that ridiculous approach that Chelsea have been denied a winning goal by VAR, which is literally, I feel like John Oliver. I mean, that's literally not how these things happen. Well, if, if the referee had ruled it out, would, they, would the headline have been Chelsea denied winning goal by referee? Referee enforces rules correctly would not have been the no. headline, but still it wouldn't have been quite as far. But part of the problem is that, I think we've discussed this before, that VAR has a name, so it's kind of yeah. become this kind yeah. of all-encompassing enemy. But what, what's really struck me this last week is that it's now taken the place of the, kind of the, the endless conversation used to be that referees weren't good enough. Or the referee, there was always this focus after games, and it's not just in England. Italy is appalling for it with the Moviola on the referee's mistakes and what did the referee do wrong here and what did the referee do wrong here and we've we, we being the media have created a culture where all we want to talk about are referees and it's it is extraordinary that that that's been allowed to take place it's the media that's created this kind of atmosphere in which fans think that the referees are are to fault are at fault for everything where the post match discussion is far more likely to be about the the flaws of the referees than the than the fact that a team's lost or why, or why a team's won and to be honest Sunday's a really good example of that so there has been that's the biggest game of the season one of the two biggest games of the English season this apparently this it was the third highest rated Sky game in Sky Sports Premier League coverage history very good and it, a huge seminal event and no question about it Man City should have had a penalty in the sixth minute Manchester City then conceded another two goals. Well, Manchester City had two chances from two free kicks just, just after Liverpool had scored their first. Yeah. Glaring misses. So clearly there are so, but the other variables to consider. So while Variables to consider. While you cannot deny that that was a mistake, that wasn't funny. The, <laughs> Come on. You can't the, deny, off, the off mic laughter was enough. You can't deny it was a mistake. Should have been a penalty. The... It, and I think that I understand. I would understand why City fans would Stephen be... Stephen thinks it wasn't right, a penalty. No, okay, look, so... Well, uh, hang on, I hang on. Before Stephen is wrong about something... <laughs> So you, you can see why that's been a, such a big talking point. But there were another 84 minutes in the game for Manchester City to win that match. And they didn't. During which they defended rather poorly. So if, you're, if, if you are of the mindset that the only thing that matters is that Manchester City are denied a penalty and Liverpool scored a goal in the same move uh, six minutes in. And that's why we should talk endlessly about... And goals can change games, not a problem. It's a big moment, not a question. It also but, helped Liverpool play the way that they wanted to play a little bit more. Yeah, no, it had not particularly if City had scored the penalty and gone 1-0 up. Not denying for a second that it was important. But it is not the only... Th it's dressed up as, well, after that happened, then Manchester City could not have been expected to win. And that is nonsense. The reason I explained to Hugh that I thought the penalty wasn't awarded and why it wasn't overturned is that it's the complications of the handball law and people's misunderstanding of it. And the fact of the matter is, is that Trent Alexander is moving and you don't move with your arms locked by your sides. 
that would be unnatural. So the fact that he is move shifting his body weight means it is. Un, un, I, Have you ever seen a Cossack? <laughs> that is moving unnaturally, Rory. Not to a Cossack. <laughs> they work very hard to be able to move like that. I think it's an unacceptable addition to Trent Alexander-Arnold's training regime. So I was explaining to, to Hugh why I felt that Michael Oliver, the on-field referee, decided that wasn't a penalty and why, having explained to the video assistant referee what he had seen, there was not enough evidence mm. for the VAR to say you've made a clear and obvious error because you have described to me exactly what I have just watched back on, on the replay. So there's nothing there for me to overturn. And as it happens, that might have been the biggest non-penalty call of the weekend in terms of the prestige of the fixture. Mm. There were two others on Saturday that were more clear-cut that weren't overturned. The foul on Soyuncu in the Leicester Arsenal game, which was yeah. a clear penalty yeah. that should have been given by VAR, and the foul on Southampton's Ginepo in the Southampton-Everton game, which was also ruled out on the field and was not overturned. Both of those were clear fouls. There is less clouding of the rules yeah. regarding those in instances than there is handball. So actually, the City-Liverpool one was probably only the, th the third worst decision that was made that, that weekend. Uh, we are going to continue the conversation. However, I'm going to insert myself uh, more forcibly than most VARs would uh, on a penalty decision that has been sent their way. Uh, you don't get VARs decision sent them, by the way, just to make sure just that Steve doesn't get just furious again. Um, because way back when, you remember that Ray got in touch and he started us off on this. Well, our, our subject today can include, but uh, by no means needs to be limited to uh, what Ray was touching on there. So I want to state the subject and everybody will realise that we've already started the okay. subject. It is this. Referees, do we expect too much or are they letting us down? As English football in particular goes through its first attempt to at trying to alleviate the pressure on referees, that's A-T-P-O-R, at poor, which is way better than VAR, uh, the on-field and Stockley Park-based officials have managed to be the story of the season so far, as Rory has already stated. Because we This want... is the risk about not having this preamble as a preamble. Because we want them to be the story, because we don't actually want to talk about football. Well, has the introduction of technology made us realise the shortcomings of referees, or has it highlighted how tough their job is, especially as the scrutiny has revealed how little most fans know about the rules? and indeed quite a lot of members of the media. This will not be a VAR rant episode, I funnily enough wrote yesterday. That should be deleted. Uh, it will, however, attempt to be rather beautifully balanced to the extent that in restating this theme right now, I will uh, reverse the negative and positive parts to make sure that there is no undue prominence to either. So then, referees, are they letting us down or do we expect too much? That's just so everybody knows what we're talking about. You can now continue the thread that you had previously, Rory. So I'm glad that we kind of wasted like 15 minutes talking about it before Hugh brought the subject up because I think the, to me the answer to that is incredibly simple I know we don't like reaching conclusions the referees have always been really good there has, there has never been a point where the referees are bad where the majority of decisions are wrong where the game is not being in for, is not being kind of officiated in the way that it should be by people doing their best that doesn't mean every decision is right, and it doesn't mean that they're not annoying, and it doesn't mean that some of them don't seem like fairly unlikable people. 
Although I suspect the job kind of lends itself to, towards giving off that air because you are you have it's, to have it's self protection. You're like a traffic warden. You're like a, a like a traffic warden running around. They have to be incredibly thick skinned, and yeah. that can outwardly manifest itself negatively. But the, it? the figure the the Premier League gave out, I think this week or last week, is that the that the introduction of VAR means that the bid decisions. The, the rate that they're getting bid decisions correct has gone up from 82% to about 95%. 82% is amazing. I remember John Henry, the Liverpool owner, saying when he first arrived that, that one of the things that really impressed him about European soccer was how accurate the referees were without any help. And they, they think they get about 95 to 97% of all decisions correct. And that's the decisions they make. It's not necessarily the decisions they don't make because they correctly interpret that there has been no foul or there is no reason for them to insert themselves. I think that there has never been a problem with referees. What there has been is a cultural problem, which I'm not going to ban on about it again, has been led by a media that has realised it is much easier to talk about whether the referee's been any good or whether he's made a mistake than it is to kind of actually talk about football. So and that in England has manifested itself because of the, the nature of the newspapers where they're not sports specific. So you need a back page or front of the section headline. You need something shouty and screamy and simple you can't you know you can't do like a long piece about the, the benefits of the, of the you know false nine on the back page or something and elsewhere it's been linked to the rise of slow motion slow motion replays and like the endless talking head tv shows they have in italy and spain and the fact that they have i mean certainly on tv in italy and spain they love just people shouting on television for no reason it's it's the soap the soap opera has taken over and the soap opera needs a villain, and the villain, the convenient villain, has always been the referee. The referees themselves are not the problem. That Trent Alexander-Arnold incident, let's take, let's pretend VAR doesn't exist, and there'll be a lot of people listening that wished that was the case. It's a demonstration of how difficult the job is, but also perhaps the, the limitations at times of the officials that is perhaps not just of their own doing, or is any causing to any question their competence? It's the environment in which they are working under. Because firstly, you can argue with the benefit of the laws that that is both a handball and not a handball, depending on how you interpret the laws. Mm -hmm. If the penalty had been awarded, I think a majority of people would have understood why. Yeah. But Liverpool fans would have been outraged. They would have... I think fairly so, say, what is he supposed to do with his arm there? His arm cannot disappear into thin air. Yes, it was away from his body, but he was moving. He was shifting his body weight. And when you do that, your arms move. Mm. Equally, if he waves it away and says it's not a penalty, then you can understand that as well. And City would have complained about it afterwards. Again, justifiably so. But that has been exacerbated by the fact that a goal has been scored almost yeah. immediately yeah. at the other end. So we need to cut referees a bit of slack, first and foremost. That ball struck Trent Alexander-Arnold's arm from 8.4 yards away. The last contact with a City player was 8.4 yards away. That's almost instantaneous in terms of the pace of the Premier League game. So if Trent Alexander-Arnold has not got time to react to get his arm out of the way, that gives you a demonstration of the thought process that a referee has to go through to make his decision. Mm. He needs to be able to decide and interpret what an elite level footballer, which he has never been, by the way, mm. 
is and isn't capable of doing. That's Michael Oliver, not Trent Alexander-Arnold. He is definitely an (laughs) elite-level footballer, let me be clear about that. So we, even with the benefit of technology, we need to understand better what they are and aren't able to do in terms of their on-field decision-making. And then we need to understand better the laws and the guidance that they are working Mm. under that makes them reach their conclusions. Because as I say, that could be interpreted as both a handball or not a handball. And And neither decision is technically wrong. Neither decision is technically wrong. We need to learn to accept that because even with technology, once the referee has made his decision, it has got to be proved by the laws that his decision was incorrect. And that was not. I want to talk about scapegoating because the way that you Mm. set it up, Rory, is to suggest that the, the, the referee is being unfairly scapegoated because of the, the soap opera that surrounds uh, the media and the fans that follow that media and how they, they want an easy narrative to follow. The referee was scapegoated massively prior to VAR coming yes. in. VA, one of the, That's why VAR came one in. Of the, that's exactly what I was going to say. One of the reasons VAR came in was to try and not scapegoat the referees. But the referees are being scapegoated as much, if not more, but... VAR is almost a stick with which we are beating them rather than it being their saving grace. So with using the, the Liverpool handball, I think if, if Michael Oliver had just made, if there was no VAR and Michael Oliver makes that decision, it would have been as it is now. Michael Oliver, the City fans would have been furious. Liverpool fans, I think possibly with a, with a not, not turning cheat, but slightly against their better judgment, say, no, it's definitely not a penalty. I think there'll be plenty of Liverpool fans who, who look at that dis- and think we've got away with one. The discussion afterwards would have been about the handball rule, funnily enough, they would have, yeah. because there would have been this, this, this kind of meat in the sandwich, VAR, which has gone between the two slices of bread, is now the thing with which you beat look, the referee. Except, except that, but that all that proves is that, that officiating, I'm doing the inverted commas with my fingers, officiating is always the story. And I heard on, on Five Live the other day that, and this is not a criticism of Five Live, who not only, who I think provide all of us with some money occasionally, the um, sort of saying, you know, is that there was a conversation about, isn't it a shame that we're talking about VAR and not this, not this great game? Well, yeah, so don't. Like, that's the easy thing, just don't do it. It's, I, was in, I was in the press box afterwards and sort of, after, after a big game like that, journalists generally will kind of run ideas past other journalists to see that if, if your theory makes sense, if they can kind of, if they understand it, just to check they're not doing the same piece as you, because you, you don't want to kind of, you don't want to double up on things. You don't check wanna, spelling? Check spelling. Uh, I, I tend to ask people where my commas go. It's, it's <laughs> who, who took the corner or who played the pass before the pass? Little bits of, uh, yeah, little bits of that. Not so much now that it's all instantaneous. You don't get very many actual match reports. But I spoke to three or four quite good mates of mine and said... And, they, and I said, are you, are you doing VAR? And they said, no, it just can't be. It's not a VAR story. It isn't. A, that, that was a story about the title race and about Liverpool's hope and City, City's kind of billion-pound squad that suddenly doesn't have any defenders left in it. And it was about, you know, can Guardiola get it back and all this. There were loads of, loads of stuff to, to go on. It, wasn't, it doesn't have to be. It just don't talk about it. Like, except that if we'd all, 30 years ago, accepted that referees got stuff wrong, we wouldn't have VAR. So the people who are now complaining about VAR and how it needs to be done better, and blah, 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 I have no sympathy with. This is, you've got the game you wanted. This is what you have been, this is, you have brought us here. You've made your bed, lie in it. Imagine that had been Newcastle at Anfield 
claiming for a penalty. In the opposition box, and that's very unlikely. They, they've been doing quite well recently, Rory. They, they have done some attacking, so it's not that implausible. Imagine it had been Joel Linton suddenly stands there with his arm up, not trying to get on the loose ball in the penalty area. Imagine it's Newcastle who are complaining that they've not got a decision, so that enables helps enable Liverpool, who are more than capable of doing this anyway, to sweep from one end of the field to the other. And then imagine the ball breaks to one of the Longstaff brothers in his own penalty area, and he just taps it out into the path of an on-rushing Fabinho, so he can smash it back past your goalkeeper. I think there would be an awful lot of scrutiny under those circumstances yeah. of the break, the mental breakdown that enabled Liverpool to score. But because it was another elite team and because it was such a big moment in a game between the title challenges, that it ends up becoming about the referee and not... How were you unable to compose yourself between one incident and another? Well, you can, make, you can certainly make a case that Aduero, had he not been thinking that's a penalty, would still have won the ball. Does Virgil van Dijk seem to mess about with it for about three minutes yeah. before clearing it? Obviously, it wasn't. That's an exaggeration. I think it might be Chris Sutton who said the other day that... I think you can make a case now that VAR, VAR is fundamentally changing the way that players play. So it, there was always this idea that it would help get rid of diving. I think it's exacerbated it as someone who doesn't have a problem with diving. I think players now are thinking, I might as well go over here because there's half, there's not just, I don't, I don't, you can look at it two ways. You can say either I don't have, I shouldn't do it because I have to fool both the referee and the eye in the sky. Or you can look at it and think there's a lot of stuff going on in a box Everything's happening really quickly. There's half a chance he'll touch me. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? To a con- level the, of conviction that's enough. Yeah. There are two people here who could give me a penalty. And I, think, I genuinely think that's what's happening. I think that, and I wonder whether, with the Aduero incident, because of, because of VAR, because they know they have that there, whether the players are thinking, I need to make a fuss of this and they'll bring the play back, rather than cracking on with what I'm meant to be doing. So I wonder if, without VAR that whole thing plays out differently and Aguero gets the ball back. Maybe, maybe has a shot, maybe it doesn't go in. Maybe it does go in and it gets ruled out for Bernardo Silva's handball or whatever. Maybe there's a scandal about that. But it maybe is that he stopped as he's thinking, well, if the referee doesn't spot it, the VAR will. The best case to illustrate your point potentially is the, um, what would have been the Arsenal winning goal against Crystal Palace being ruled out where you've got a situation where Chambers is being fouled by Cahill subsequently ends up in a tangle with Milivojevic, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Milivojevic goes to ground, ball ends up in the back of the net, and Chambers is penalised for a foul. Like you say, there's so much going on that, you Might know, well p- it, yeah. potentially, why, why not take... I think, in, I think in, the long, in the long run, the technology will change players' behaviour for the better, but we've got to make sure that we're implementing the technology in the right way, which I know is a, is a different discussion, mm-hmm. but ultimately ties in with, again how I think referees are being hamstrung a little bit because if they're not getting the help they need and there have been numerous obvious, I think the two most obvious decisions that haven't been overturned this season are the Vertonghen on Delafeo in the Spurs-Watford game that should have been a penalty probably about twice, at least twice, maybe three times he had a nibble at him. You know, there was a, you know that was a clear, clearly should have been a penalty. And also it was Tielemans uh, over the top challenge very yeah, early on in the season, given as a red. which wasn't given. A, it, it, it's just obviously a red card. Mm. 
And this is again comes back to if those if we've been getting those decisions, those easy to get right decisions right with VAR early on, there wouldn't be the level of mistrust over mm. the borderline offside calls because you because you'd accept the technology has helped make a correct decision over here. So I'm more likely to tr- trust the technology on this borderline offside. But literally every decision is is sparking debate because people aren't willing to believe even what they can see with their own eyes. I think there's a problem as well in terms of the 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 way the rules are meant to be interpreted, the the bar that they set, the the kind of what and the fluctuation of that bar. Yeah, and it's it that makes it very hard for fans because it does now feel and I don't want to sound like conspiracist, but it does now feel as though PGMOL are maybe protecting themselves a little bit and they're they're seeking justifications for decisions that aren't necessarily there. It would help if maybe occasionally they'd say, look, it's still a man or a woman watching a video. They can also be wrong. Um, or they, they might, as Steve said, it shouldn't, it's actually not hard to grasp that something can both, can in one light be a foul and in the, in, in the next light not be a foul. That's not actually difficult. Most people who have any understanding of football will grasp that concept. And the problem I think the Premier League have made for themselves, and I don't know whether the Bundesliga did the same thing, is by changing the goalposts a little bit every so often, or even over every weekend, so that they look like they're getting everything right. I think it's building up such a well of, of mistrust and so much confusion about n- not only kind of how it works, but what the rules are, that I don't see how that happens. Definitely over time in the Bundesliga, having got used to it, in the same way as, you know, from watching football regularly... You learn, even without knowing the laws of the game, you will get a feeling for what is and isn't allowed. You will see a two-footed, one two-footed challenge, which you'll instinctively go, that's probably a yellow. And another, which you'll just immediately, oh, he's getting a red card. Yeah. And VAR, you know, VAR will fall into that as well. The more that people get to understand what it does and doesn't do, the more they will trust the decisions that it's helping to come up with. And that is... That is something that will take time. Even if they had been implementing it better, that was still something that was going yeah, to course, take the yeah. duration of a season at least, if not longer, for people to get used to. The other thing that we need to think about here when we're talking about referees and an implication of the new technology that hasn't necessarily been discussed so widely is the extent to which they are now working over the course of the yes. weekend. There's a great piece in The Athletic over from the last few days that reveals a little bit about you know what referees earn, what they do to prepare for a match, and how VAR has added to their workload. And this is a discussion I've had with another commentator recently. Is that if you think about it, if 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 any one of us went to a game in the northwest of England and in the north northeast, and then watched another in West London during the course of the same weekend, you'd probably ask whether you were getting sponsorship for that kind of yeah. adventure. Well, that's what a lot of our referees are doing now. They are the on-field official for a game. They will be the fourth official at another. And then they might be the VAR for the Monday night game. Mm. That is a huge increase in their workload. Yes, additional officials have been added to the elite group in terms of who oversees Premier League games, whether that's on-field or just they're just there for VAR duties. But they are being worked harder. Mm. They are earning more money for it. But they are having to prepare for more games because they do prepare for games. They do familiarise themselves with the teams and their tactics and the Find kind of things. Find out if Lee Catamol's playing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, make sure you've got a fresh brand spanking new yellow card in your pocket. So we have to accept that if we're asking them to work harder, 
they might be more fallible. Well, yeah, and I, I heard someone suggest not long ago that maybe the VARs should all be recently retired referees in a sort of it's a great suggestion care home type sense. Maybe maybe they all live together at Stockley Park. Maybe you film it and turn it in. Maybe the, the Premier League could put that out on one of their sort of. TV, TV outlets as kind of referee, you know. So it should be like an annex to Shady Acres or something, you know, that the home for retired referees, and they can all sort of gather on a Sunday yeah. afternoon. To yeah, I'm trying to think of, the, a, uh, of a pun, um, but I can't. But that would make sense to me. But partly, the other thing that I think is important is that the character of whoever's doing the VAR is probably quite important in terms of how assertive they are, how much they 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 want to allow the. And I realise there's protocols, but you know how much they want to kind of allow the on-pitch referee to have, or be scared of offending them. Yeah, the, all that stuff is probably quite important. So I think if you had a squadron of ten VARs who were referees who've gone, who've just turned forty-six or whatever year it is that they have to retire, and you say, right, you are the VAR. This is how it works. Your personality does not matter. You are almost a disembodied like Deus Ex Machina. You just you don't have to worry about offending them. Maybe they could like computerise the voice so they don't know which one it is. They Maybe they, they should like have a hologram of them appear with like a like a cowl on to to say that is no goal in the stadium or whatever. I just wonder if that might help. Does it, you're right about the workload, but also you're you're asking people. There's there's maybe a bit too much humanity in the system. I wonder if that's a problem as well. That it it would be better if it was at least more consistent with this is the, the this guy is the VAR. The, the, the humanity of the system both plays to its advantage and disadvantage in that you have so many sports that have a, uh, a video referee element and you can either as a, and the humanity of fans is what I'm talking about now, you can, you can direct either your ire towards somebody because you see the process taking place or you are becalmed because you see the process mm. taking place. What football hasn't yet figured out is how best to do that, which gets back to the scapegoating issue. Because if you are, as we've already mentioned, a fan waiting for a referee to complete a conversation you cannot hear and have no real idea is taking place because he's just got his finger to his ear and you don't know necessarily what the nature of that conversation is because it just says VAR checking penalty. One of the reasons to get past that, and it takes us right back to the beginning of what Ray George said in his email, is that if you are having a situation where referees are playing out something physical in front of the fans. Yes. You are able to follow that process. Yeah. Now, whether it's, I mean, the whole thing about it taking too long because they have to run from A to B is ridiculous, as Stephen's already mentioned. But there, there is an element, even if it is just for theatre, there is an element yeah. of being able to understand as a fan what's going on. And I'm, I'm not one of those people who says, oh, the fans don't know what's going on, the, the information's rubbish or anything like that. But there are ways of helping a fan direct his interest his anger his relief so that he knows the process is taking place and also to have that person being a human being yeah and that human being is the referee who is in the middle if there is a some sort of ethereal presence who is making this decision Hologram. on on under which auspices you don't understand because you don't know the rules of the game mm. um the length of time the nature of the conversation not sure you don't know if michael oliver has said to paul tierney that i saw a handball and i decided that it was yeah. uh, not an unnatural position uh, so all of these are useful to know but we'll never be able to disseminate immediately it was mm. interesting that the premier league put out the unnatural position yeah. ruling during the game yeah. so that it could help to clarify their decision making i don't think it necessarily helped because 
it wasn't a particularly good decision that, well, certainly Roy and I uh, think so. But also it had the air, it, I think it was, that was good, but it had the air of, and this is maybe wrong, of, no, there wasn't a mistake. Every, everything that, is, that comes out about VAR... Again, self-preservation. ...has, yes, we, has the tone of, actually, we, it all, everything starts with actually. It's actually, it's ref-splaining. Actually, we got exactly. it right. And that actually, was the reason right. why, if you are accusing the PGMOL of doing making mistakes it is the reason why they decided to not have or to have a high bar and to not have the referees going to the pitch side monitor because they thought that they could do it better than what had been shown previously mm. what would might have been a little bit more sensible is to follow the path that had been taken by those who had had an opportunity yeah. to have it yeah. for longer and then modify it should there be a problem with that approach but the just to finish on that point about humanity it is incredibly important for a fan and to a certain extent for those watching either in the ground as a me is media or on television to follow that line to know where that decision is mm. being taken place and to yes if you need to shout at somebody if you need to scapegoat somebody at least scapegoat somebody who you have followed making that decision and understand that there has been a process that has been followed in vision in a mm. way that we can see it and so if we're going to be scapegoating somebody, then that seems a slightly more accurate way to scapegoat, even if you shouldn't be the, the scapegoating the, in the first place. The theatre of, the, of going to watch the replay is, is a really important factor that has been completely ignored. Yeah. The, uh, that's, that's crucial because it, it not only tells the fans what, in the stadium what's going on and the fans at home what's going on, but it, it conveys the person in charge of this match is checking. And is you, making the decision. Is making the decision. Yeah. The, 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 there is no other ethereal presence actually in charge that it does i think the other thing that is is problematic is it referees have a chronic problem with their authority being undermined by everyone all of the time and the way that VAR, the var official doesn't want to be part of that well it, it, they don't but also the way that it's been worked at the moment is it does look like the, it, the they keep saying they keep saying oh, the referee the on-pitch referee is in charge of the game on-pitch referee is in charge of the game it doesn't look like that it looks like the on-pitch referee is it might be that way, but it looks an awful lot like the on-pitch referee is is actually kind of the puppet, and the mass the, the puppeteer is somewhere else. It's Ray Winston's head floating above yeah, the stadium, and directing I think him. It it would be improved as a. It wouldn't improve the decision-making process necessarily. You, I'm not convinced that the decision-making process needs improving. I think we can have an entirely different conversation about whether the laws need to change. Um, which we are, I think we're all happy to say that they probably should and what's happened this season highlights the need for that. And you should not be changing them because you now have the technology. The technology should not define what the laws of the game are. But I think that just having the referee going over to a monitor so that the fans in the stadium and the fans watching the TV can see this person is checking would help people think, I might not agree with that, but they've seen it. And it would also help get over the hurdle of what, if any, egos are involved. Because mm. although it's a tight-knit community and they are looking out for each other, I suppose the same in, you know, in our lines of work. You know, Rory has once again, quite rightly, been nominated for the Football Supporters Association Writer of the Year alongside oh, yeah. some other very fine writers. And you mm. will all be, well, you know, a handful of decent writers. Uh, you will all be willing each other well but one of you has got to win that award and the one that does will be entitled to feel rather pleased with themselves and the rest will have to smile politely whilst you go up and accept it. And that's got to be the same to a certain extent for referees is although they are a tight community and they will 
assist each other mm. to the best of their capabilities, there will also be a competitive streak to it. And this thing of having an on-field referee being overruled by a, a, you know, a voice in the ether is not a great look. Mm. Whereas if that voice in the ether is advising the on-screen, the, the on-field referee to go and check on the screen and double-check you're happy with mm. your decision, I think that helps with that illusion and helps get over any barriers in that regard. Hugh mentioned humanity. One other thing in regard to that is that we are expecting more and more of our referees. Not only are they having to work harder and referee ever more intense fixtures, but they're also having to be experts at things that perhaps they weren't prepared for when they started out on their path. And the incident in Ukraine over the course of the, the last Tyson, few days is yeah. a really good example of that. Dinamo Kiev against Shakhtar Don, Donetsk. Uh, Tyson the Shakhtar midfielder being racially abused from the, the corner of the crowd where the, the Dinamo fans were, has reacted, has, you know, sworn towards those supporters. He's grabbed the ball, he's kicked the ball towards the supporters. It has ultimately ended with him being sent off. What we don't know, what we don't understand is the process that the referee has to go through in those circumstances. He needs to be knowledgeable about whatever it was was being shouted yeah. in Tyson's... He has to... Did he hear it? Did he know what was being said? Did he understand the significance of it? Did he have any appreciation whatsoever for why Tyson had reacted in that way? Yeah. We are asking our, ref our referees to be experts on things that they might not be experts about. They have to go through an awful lot during the course of 90 minutes that extends beyond understanding the laws of the game. And I wonder whether that comes back to... And you don't know that. Partly, it's that you don't know the with the Tyson example. You, you don't know the, the circumstances of it. I, I don't know enough about it to, just, to say. Most of us are probably just, like just in a thirty-second clip. Yeah. yeah. And so, you, yeah, you, you, the way the son of house and vendor, the way the way generally the the world is at the moment, you would you would expect everyone to say immediately, well, the referee should have done this, this, and this, and this, but you've got to be perfect in every, in every situation. As you say, maybe the referee didn't hear it. Maybe the first thing he saw was Tyson swearing at the crowd. And so he thought, I'll send him off. Maybe he didn't know the, the scale of it, or he didn't take time to... I don't know whether Tyson speaks in a Ukrainian. He, he might not do, to, not that he necessarily has to, but to explain himself to the referee and say, they are racially abusing me. Um, he may not have had the support from his teammates that he needed in, in getting that message across or whatever. There's a problem, I think, in that we expect everyone to be perfect all the time, in like cancel culture and all that stuff, but also with referees, that we have built them up to being so responsible for everything that happens on a pitch that they are, if you think about the way they're portrayed and have been for years, they are the ultimate kind of deciders of games. It's ref the ref the, this, I have lost this game because of the referee's mistake. I have won this game because of the referee's mistake. The referee has done this, the referee has done that, as though they are more, kind of what the referee does is more important than what yeah. the players do. There's, there's often been displacement of blame away yeah. from your own team yeah. so, to the referee because it's an easy out. Managers have done that as much as anybody else. And what that creates then is this world in which we expect the referees to be perfect at everything, and if they're not, then it's well the referees aren't good enough because what what we need what we kind of created a, a a kind of vision of the referee as kind of judge dread, whereas in fact it's like a forty six year old accountant. And the and the ever complicating of the rules in the strive for consistency is actually not enabling referees to use their common sense, yeah. which again brings us back to the Trent Alexander-Arnold handball. I think the common sense decision is that as a penalty. And if the handball law, which IFAB completely refused to take my calls about, <laughs> if they were to simplify that, it would make... There's an awful lot of rules that could be simplified to yeah. make the referee's job more straightforward, to enable them to use common sense when required 
and to, do you know what, is, would it be such a terrible thing if you had to adapt your game plan depending on what sort of referee you had? The referee has to prepare for a game depending on the, the yeah. teams he's refereeing. Should it not be right that the team take a look at who's refereeing? Oh, he's, a bit, he's a bit tricky, ha- happy this one, Naz. We're going to have to be a little bit more careful in the penalty area than we were last week. I think they do that anyway. Cricket umpire, you know, cr- was, yeah. cricket umpires were always, there was always those cricket umpires who were notoriously quick with the finger to give you out LBW and others who would let everything go and teams would have to prepare accordingly. Stop trying to generate a system in which every single referee is the same mm. because they are individual humans, so that's not going to happen. Well, they're different in the Premier League in, in Europe, aren't they? So that, they, 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 they already do that. The, the teams will prepare for the referees. They'll be well aware of the referees' tendencies. The problem is the fans. The, the, the channel of everything has to be uniform, everything has to be fair comes from the fans and the media the fans led by the media. And the problem is not only that they're all individual people, they all have different different bars, It's that, and, and that the rules themselves are inconsistent. It's that, and again, media created, the scandals will always be there because one team will always be on the wrong end of, the, wrong end of, a, of a decision. It's that VAR is the new tribalism. It is the new way of expressing your... your you, you, don't, you now blame not only the media who have an agenda against you, but you now also blame VAR. And what's, whatever side you sit of the VAR mm. debate, it has become as tribal. The language that is being used is, has become as tribal as any other conversation that is taking place well, I was in r- football in particular. And it's, and it's one of those really infuriating situations where there is no nuance to that no. argument, even after only four months <laughs> of a new season. There is no... There is, if, if everything that happens with VAR is being framed within confirmation bias of your own, of your own side of the tribal debate. I, I thought the other day about... You know, there was that weird thing where Man United fans don't like Lionel Messi because out of loyalty to Ronaldo, it's always Messi's... United fans will always tend... Not all, not all United fans, there are a portion of United fans who would, or would be inclined to go for Ronaldo over Messi because they have a connection to Ronaldo. And it's, to an extent, it's understandable. There are then some who will, will tell you that Messi is overrated and is awful and is actually is a fraud. Charlatan, yeah. Because out of... Take, take it too far... Man City and VAR is kind of coming, going the same yeah. way. That Man City are going to be... A, because they have, as it happens, suffered at the hands of... V, not suffered at the hands of VAR. Decisions that have, have gone against them have been enforced by, correctly by the VAR, except maybe in this case, where it probably was a penalty. Um, and that is now... But, but, so that, that, that's enough to legitimise <laughs> everything yeah, that's come before that. You, that's you the problem. Still, yeah, but again, that's another... Is, that that's is still not a VAR thing. No, they're going to get upset about the VAR. That was not a VAR decision. Yeah. It was a laws decision. Yeah. So, the, the, but then that then kind of what's the word? It kind of colours the debate yeah. from Man City for Man City and v, and VAR. It just they blame VAR for their ill. So, something very significant needs to happen in their favour. No, 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 for no. them to even wouldn't make a difference. Wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. <laughs> That's the, the the first step on the journey. Has to be a massive one. You're an optimist, Hugh. There will there no. will not be a single small step to help turn this ship around. It It'll comes, have to be it comes back to this thing where Manchester United were in their pomp, and there was that constant complaint about how easy it was for Manchester United to win penalties at Old Trafford, completely overlooking the fact that was because Manchester United were almost constantly attacking yeah. at Old Trafford. So if a penalty was going to be awarded in the game, there was a high probability it would be to them because they were the team doing all the attacking. Manchester City will need to accept that if you are going to attack and score as many goals as they do, the chances are you are going to have more goals ruled out by virtue of the VAR process than yeah. Watford, who have only scored about four goals all season. 
Uh, it, it's true. If there is to be any light at the end of the Manchester City VAR tunnel, I appreciate mm. it is a small amount of light, and it is a long tunnel. And what you're t- t- can you, can you and it's flickering. <laughs> can you can you pay extra for access to that tunnel? <laughs> yes, you can. You get to watch Manchester City traverse through that tunnel because, of course, at the end of it, there is light and many, many, many good things. But the the the, the thing I'm hearing. Most often when things are going well for City, i.e. goal has been allowed mm. after a VAR check, is that, oh, well, we can celebrate it. So, you know, that, that yeah. is the tribal nature of trying to fashion an argument to support yeah. your tribal theory. I said earlier this will not be a VAR rant episode. So um, we've ranted. I think it was just a VAR episode. We Good discussed job. passionately. Yes, Steve. we discussed passionately and hopefully informatively uh, and with nuance. Um, some of the issues that are facing referees at the moment. Uh, good job Andy's not here because we have no time for a soccer story because we've gone on for far too long. Um, so what a relief. Uh, Chinch, get well soon. Please continue to send uh, any soccer stories that you may have to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. If you have a Reacher novel, uh, please do open it. Take a photo. Send it to us. That really is all it takes. We have had some. We are very excited about them. They are ready to go post-live show. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Rory, Stephen and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set-piece menu that will sound a little different to normal very soon indeed. We've properly stitched him up, by the way. Chinch? No, Hugh. Go on. Well, because he's got to edit this, and we have ranted on for way too long. Well, he enjoys that. Well, enjoys I, the challenge. I don't, don't the really. Challenge. No, I want it to be over quite quickly, actually. Mm. Are you going to just sort of cut out a huge section of nope, it regardless I'm just gonna, of content. I'm, I'm going to let you live and die by the content that you two have provided. Okay. Uh, so it's going to go on and on and on. I'm not sure that that's going to shift those few extra t- tickets to the live show, is it? It'll be a little bit late. Most people will hear this on the morning of Wednesday and if they're not already in Manchester, it'll be very tough for them to make the effort to get. But there might be, there might be a few people just handing out thinking, right, I'll give them one more chance. <laughs> like, like queuing outside the door of the venue yeah. thinking, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, one hour and six... Nope, I'm off. Don't agree with Steve. I am not attending. I didn't agree with Steve yesterday. And then by the end of the conversation, we weren't agreeing. Hmm. And then Steve went home, watched it again, and decided to partially agree with me. Oh, that, is, that is a complete <laughs> rewrite of history, incidentally. <laughs> that's, a, a, complete, that's a very rare thing. That. Complete rewrite.